Welcome to All You Need to Know, the show where you hear about everything and learn about nothing. Here are your hosts, Quinn Eaton and DJ Pig. Thank you for tuning in to All You Need to Know today. My name is Quinn Eaton. No DJ Pig with me, but that's okay. Um, you might have seen this one, this topic, uh, on our social media or maybe just clicked on it uh, on our podcast format. And you might be saying, wow, this seems like a serious topic for AY2K to discuss. It kind of is, but we've always seen ourselves as very versatile. And I think that you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with uh, Pastor Matt Johnson from the Journey Church uh, located in Murray, Kentucky. So we usually have a long intro to get the episode started, but not today. So those people that are always uh, complaining about how long it takes for us to get to the topic It's not going to happen today. You're going to have a good day in regards to that. Uh, We're going to jump right into the conversation. I sat down with uh, lead pastor Matt Johnson from the Journey Church, and we talked about questions regarding Christianity. So I'm sitting here uh, today with Matt Johnson, uh, Pastor Matt Johnson, I guess I could go ahead and do, do you prefer that? You pre- can just call prefix? me Matt, that's okay. good. That's what so, my mom calls me. Okay, gotcha. So I'm here with Matt Johnson, uh, and we are going to have an interesting discussion today. Uh, Matt, the idea for this podcast is to just answer some commonly or frequently asked questions. Um, and I'm sure these are questions you've been asked before, maybe not all at once, Maybe not all the questions you've been asked before, but I think this is going to be beneficial for uh, people that need reassurance, people that might be on the fence, or people that have had these questions themselves. So that's the purpose of today's episode, and I just want to thank you for sitting in and, and being able to answer these questions for us. Oh, absolutely, Quinn. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Third most popular podcast in the world. I've arrived. Get yeah. on here, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the, I think it's the third most popular uh, podcast in Western Kentucky. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say the world. I'd just call it the world. Okay. It's, quite, it's good enough. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, if you wanted to just introduce yourself for the audience, maybe people don't know who you are. Sure. Uh, of course, I do. I'm a big fan of Matt Johnson. So uh, there are some people probably tuning in uh, that haven't heard about Matt Johnson, so uh, just introduce yourself, and if you want to plug anything, feel sure. free. Sure. Well, I grew up here in Western Kentucky, mm-hmm. spent most of my life here, uh, graduated from Murray State University with a business administration degree, and moved away to Colorado for a couple years after that, but then came back. So practically all my life's been here, spent much of that here in Murray, mm-hmm. and 15 years ago, there were seven of us uh, mainly college students and then a um, couple, couple other adults who started a church here in Murray on the campus of Murray State University, Journey Church. And uh, we have been here for 15 years, currently meet in, well, when it's not pandemic related, we meet in the basketball arena, uh, CFSB Center here at Murray State, and uh, have loved what I've got, gotten to do. and. What the, the opportunity we have to interact with people in this community. Uh, obviously, love Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's home. I think it's great folks here. But here in Murray, having the university here as well and being able to interact with students, it's just such a mix of people here, right. a diversity that makes it a pretty cool place. It is. It really is. And so I was one of those people that came to school in the area and I found your guys' church. 
having church in a basketball arena is definitely different. Yes. Uh, but it, it kind of, you know, it's, it's weird to, you know, sit in on a game on a Saturday and then the next morning you're right back there except you're doing a little bit uh, Except little I'm bit on different. the stage. Except oh, you're the court. on the stage. Yeah, yeah. But it's just as exciting. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I appreciate you, you know, giving a little bit of a synopsis on how everything started. The Journey Church uh, is a great, great uh, place and I, I've always enjoyed it. I know anybody in the Western Kentucky area would as well. So you guys are mostly online at the moment. Yes, we um, are. With some, with some plans in the future to maybe get back to normal, but right now we're just doing... Uh, pretty much all we can. So. Yeah, it feels like it's best for the community right now <laughs> for us to be online, so that's what we're trying to do. Well, and that's the good thing about this is uh, the All You Need to Know podcast has never had to stop. We've just continued to go yep. throughout the uh, pandemic, and you guys are in a similar situation where you just kind of adapted and, and kept going. So uh, we appreciate you uh, just kind of sitting in and, and answering some questions. So I've been talking about these questions a lot, but I haven't asked any yet. So I just wanted to see if you were ready to get going on some of these questions. Let's shoot, man. We'll try okay. to figure them out. All right. So these are going to be questions that, like I said, people have had, people have maybe even thought about, but have never asked. Yep. And so this is something that I think is going to be really beneficial for anyone, regardless of what spectrum you're on. Um, so, that, it, and some of the questions I'll be interested uh, in, in hearing the answer to. So I'll go ahead and ask the first one. This is probably... Uh, one that is very popular. Um, some of the stories in the Bible can be difficult for people to understand or accept. So can we take everything in the Bible at face value, or is it is it figurative? Is it a literal thing? How, how should we interpret the Bible? Yeah, no, that is a great question, because there's some stories in there that, let's be honest, they seem a bit unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Some of them are crazy. So a couple of things about that, Quinn. One is... Uh, the Bible, the documents in the Bible, there are different types of literature there. So it's not all factual or in the sense of being historical. There are some things that um, are meant to be taken literally. There are some things that are not. But that being said, I think the bigger, probably the underlying question underneath that is, well, if everything in the Bible isn't true, then... Can I be a follower of Jesus? Can I be a Christian? Right. Um, or if you disprove one thing, does the whole thing fall down like a house mm -hmm. of cards, right? Yeah. So I did a series um, back in 2019 called The Bible for Grownups. Mm -hmm. and, and here's why I did it. Uh, my guess is, Quinn, when you were given your first Bible, if you were like most people, uh, you're probably given it, somebody gave it to you as a kid, your parents or whoever, right? Yep. And they handed you this big book, leather bound, you know, mine was, this always cracked me up, mine actually said inside the cover, uh, genuine faux leather. And I'm like, I think that's contradictory. <laughs> but anyway, and you know, I had my name printed on it on right. the front, right? Yeah. And so they, hand, they handed you this Bible and said, there you go, this is a Bible. If you grew up in a Christian home, it was you should respect it. You, you know, you should believe everything it says, mm -hmm. and don't sit anything on it. Right? Sure. I don't know where that came from, but grandmothers. Or if, it, if it's on a stack of books, it's supposed to be. It's got to be on the top. Yeah. And don't put a coke can on it. You know, it's disrespectful, <laughs> exactly. right? So, and that was it, right? That's that was it. It was the way I like to say it is I was given my Bible, and it was all chaptered and versed and mapped and wrapped. It, it had everything. It was just like one big book. Yes. Nobody told us how to understand it, and nobody told us how to make sense of what was inside of it. So sure. um, if you don't know 
the story of how we got the Bible, it's really easy to misunderstand the stories in the Bible. So yeah, that's fair. So let me let me back up and give a little context that may help with this question okay. a little bit. Um, most people have been told that the foundation of the Christian faith is the Bible. That it's all true, you should believe it's all true, and here, here's where this always created a problem for me. It's all true, you should believe it's all true. To which, when you raise your hand and say, how do you know it's all true? The answer is, because the Bible says it's true. You're like, wait a minute, that's for, called... For the Bible tells me. Yeah, exactly, yeah. for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's circular reasoning. Mm-hmm. I'm believing this is all true because within it, it says, it tells me that it's all true. That <laughs> doesn't, you know, There's got to be better evidence than that, right? But that's what most of us were told. So, I, I believe the Bible is, the, the terms in Christian circles are inspired, infallible. I mean, I, I personally believe it's all true. But it's for a very different reason than what most of us have been told. Sure. So, to back up a little bit, the foundation of our faith, um, the Christian faith, is actually not the Bible. The foundation of our faith is an event, the resurrection of Jesus, yes. that was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses and documented for historical purposes. Okay, So, if you believe that is the foundation of the faith, then everything, including the story of how we got the Bible, comes from there. So, quick history lesson, and interrupt me if this gets no, boring, fine. okay? So, quick history lesson. We didn't have a Bible in the first century. We actually didn't have a Bible until, you know, around the fourth century. The Bible as we know it today. Mm-hmm. So, what actually happened was this. In the first century, there were several individuals who documented the life of Jesus. Now we know four of them. We know Matthew, who is one of his closest followers. We know uh, Mark documented one. He got his account from Peter, who was with Jesus. Uh, Luke. Luke was a medical doctor who became a follower of Jesus, and he says at the very beginning of his account that he investigated, investigated everything thoroughly. So he went and he interviewed eyewitnesses, yeah. you know, got all the details. He wanted to write an exact account of what had happened. And then John, who is one of Jesus' followers. But there are more people than that who actually wrote accounts. We just have those four. Now, one of the things that's interesting is if you go back and study first century history, it, is, it was very, very rare to have multiple accounts of anything historical. Right. Because it was so expensive to do it, right? Which, the reason I bring that up is it leads to the question, what in the world would have caused these people who didn't have huge resources, these were not the powerful or, or rich, what would have caused them to write so many accounts of Jesus' life? The only plausible ex- explanation is something extraordinary had to have happened. Mm-hmm. And what they all tell us happened was they watched him die. Uh, three days later, they found a tomb empty, and then they were having breakfast with him on a beach and dinner with him in a room, and, yeah. and it completely changed everything for them. Okay, What that event did is it sparked those four accounts, which were all written within 25, 30 years of Jesus' uh, death. And then it sparked these other documents that make up what we call our New Testament. But then you had people like Paul. Paul was a uh, Christian hater who was going around persecuting, arresting, in some cases killing Christians, trying to put an end to this movement. And then he has an, uh, an encounter with Jesus where he realizes, oh, shoot, I screwed up. You know, I've been on, I'm on the wrong side. He it's really is alive. Yeah. yeah. 
So he flips. There's really no explanation for Paul's 180 other than this. He flips, and then he spends, you know, he learns what all Jesus taught, and then spends the rest of his life starting churches and writing all of these letters, explaining to them how to live out what Jesus had taught. Right. That makes up a lot of our New Testament. Uh, John wrote some other accounts, or some other documents, excuse me, some other letters. Peter wrote a few letters. So you got James, a brother of Jesus. Uh, this one is always fascinating to me, Quinn. Um, uh, you have a sister instead of a brother, but right. my question to you would be, what would it take for your sister to convince you that she was God's daughter? You know, a lot. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Nothing short of a resurrection, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, she'd have to pull that off. Yeah. Well, that was the same with James. James and none of the other brothers and sisters of Jesus believed he was who he claimed to be. They thought he was crazy until the resurrection. And then you find James has flipped and is now the leader of the first church that started in Jerusalem. And James, in his letter that he writes to Christians, calls Jesus, who is his brother, his Savior and his Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's no explanation for that right. other than he saw something extraordinary. So anyway. And not, not only... I was just thinking, not only did they not have the resources to kind of write everything down, but they were still being persecuted while for, they're doing this. Writing it. Absolutely. So if it wasn't something that was worth risking your life for, it's it's difficult to kind of question uh, why they would do it. They so. had nothing to gain from spreading this message. So. Nothing to gain from making up this story. Nothing. Right. So they've written all these letters, Quinn, and they've written them to Christians in a church in this town and this city and in this region, you know, just trying to encourage and help each other figure out how to live out this mm -hmm. teaching of Jesus, which was very simply, I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. So they're trying to figure out how to apply that. And they, they began to treat these documents. None of them had all the documents in one place, but they began to treat these documents they had, um, they, they believed they were valuable and reliable. They believed they were sacred and inspired, and they started treating them like scripture. Right. And in many cases, to your point, um, the Roman Empire began to try to, over the centuries, began to try to gather these documents and destroy them all. And they would have these documents, they would make copies of them and hide them in different places. And they, in some cases, gave up their life to protect these documents. Mm -hmm. So eventually what happens is, as these non-Jewish people begin following Jesus, and they've got these documents, and then these Jewish people following Jesus have these documents, they then, the non-Jewish people, began to go, well, we should pay attention to the Jewish scriptures, which is what we call our Old Testament. Right. And so they begin reading these Jewish scriptures, and they realize, wait a minute, all of these things predicted and pointed towards Jesus coming. So, long story short, what eventually happens is, they're finally able to pull, the Roman Empire allows it, and so they're finally able to come out of hiding, and they pull all these New Testament documents and the Jewish scriptures together, and they create what we call the Bible. Right. Now, long story to answer your question, okay? <laughs> so, sorry about that. No, that's but fine. But to go back to the question at hand, um, I believe the story's in the Bible because of the resurrection. So, when a man predicts his own resurrection and pulls it off... My theology is simple. I'll just go with whatever he says. And everything okay. else is probably less likely to happen than that. That's, that's exactly right. And Jesus, you know, all the New Testament documents, there is tons of evidence for the validity of those and the reliability of those, the historical accuracy of those. So you can believe those pretty easily. 
the, the most, I mean, the resurrection's hard to believe. So you got to dig in and figure out, is there evidence there? I think there's very compelling evidence. Yeah. When you get, but a lot of the other stories that are hard to believe are found in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. okay? And in those scriptures, I accept and believe those because Jesus did. He referenced back to those things. Right. However, all that to be said, um, if you disprove some of those stories, does that disprove Christianity? No, everything hinges on the resurrection. So the only thing that causes Christianity to crumble is if you can prove the resurrection didn't happen. Sure. Everything hinges on that one event. No, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Um, we were kind of talking about how the Bible, like what you're supposed to do with it. And I remember uh, someone once once told me that we've always struggled. Where should we read in the Bible? What, what should yes. we read in the Bible? Where should we read? Yes. And he said uh, that he found out that we're supposed to read on the inside of the Bible. <laughs> so that was something that I've always kind of referenced well, back to. Well, it's weird because every other book, right, you start at the beginning. The beginning. And then somebody hands you a Bible. And they're like, well, you can start at the beginning. Genesis is okay. It's interesting. Exodus is pretty entertaining. Leviticus, nope, stop right there. Yeah. Don't keep reading. Or you, know? you can skip. Yeah, just skip to the New Testament. Yeah. So the Bible's just through. the Bible's not laid out. It's not really a book. It's a collection of sixty-six documents right. written over a fifteen-hundred-year span by I, I want to say forty-some different authors, mm-hmm. forty-six, forty-two, something like that. So it's just a different. Uh, it's just a different deal, and I understand it, it creates a lot of confusion yeah. for people to know where to start. Well, uh, I think that was well answered, so I appreciate that. Moving on to the next one, um, a common rebuttal is, you know, well, if God does really exist and he's sitting up in uh, wherever he is and he's created all of this, why does evil and suffering exist? Like, that's a common question yes. that I think I think non-believers would probably have. Absolutely. So is there any sort of validation to that? Yeah, so first of all, I completely understand that question. Uh, secondly, I would say... Um, the fact that evil and suffering exist, that is not an argument against God, against his existence, or against his love. I would actually submit that it's evidence for God and for his love. So okay. let me let me explain this. First of all, Christians have never made the argument that, hey, you should believe in God and you should believe he's a loving God because there's no evil or suffering in the world. No Christian has ever made that argument. Right. It's actually the exact opposite when you read the New Testament documents. Mm-hmm. Christians believe the worst possible thing imaginable happened to the best possible person in history in Jesus' crucifixion. So we're not sitting over here saying, oh, come believe what we believe because life will be good and you never have any pain or suffering. Right. Um, That's not it at all. So to explain the existence of pain and suffering and evil, I would explain it this two ways. One, the reason I say it's evidence for God is because you don't know evil, suffering, pain, or bad unless you know what is good, unless you have the good to compare it to. Sure. So to say, well, there's evil, pain, and suffering forces you to say, well, there's also love and good and joy, and where did that come from? Um, and as Christians, we would say, okay, well, we know, we know what's not supposed to be in this world precisely because of who God is sure, yeah. and how he created the world. So to go all the way back to Genesis, one of these stories that's hard for some people to believe, the creation story, okay? I, I don't care if you believe it's a literal seven days or it's evolution over time. or it, it, That doesn't matter to me. Um, I think the thing that we can, we can all agree on or I could make a compelling case for is something doesn't happen from nothing. 
So no matter how it happened, there has to be a first cause. And we just say that first cause is God. Mm -hmm. uh, Genesis, the account of creation, was written... Uh, when Moses wrote that, he was not writing a scientific account of here's exactly how it happened, nuts and bolts. That wasn't his purpose. He was trying to help us understand why it happened, uh, the purpose behind it all. So, in that account, Moses tells us that God creates a perfect world. He creates humans, Adam and Eve. He places them in a perfect garden. Uh, this is really hard for us to wrap our minds around, but there is... Um, there's no such thing as pain, sorrow, suffering, difficulty. I mean, the world is absolutely perfect. Right. And this is the point that I think Moses was getting to. Moses said that the reason God did all of this was because he wanted to be personal and relational with humans. So, for instance, Moses tells us a detail that every single afternoon God would show up in the garden and he would hang out with Adam and Eve. They'd walk around the garden. They'd have discussions, conversations. It was entirely relational and personal in nature. And the garden was a place where they were free to do anything they wanted. There was only one rule. So I find that interesting because so many people are like, ah, Christianity, God, it's all about rules. Rules, rules, rules. Well, when God had the world just like he wanted, there was one rule, and that was it. Yeah. And the rule was simple. Hey, here is one tree in this garden. Don't eat from this one tree. You're free to enjoy everything else here. There's a ton of other options. There's a ton of other options. Just one. Which has led to the question of, well, why would God restrict that? And the short answer would be, well, if God's goal was relationship, uh, the one thing that we all know is you can't force love. Uh, love has to be a choice. And so God was choosing to love us, but he had to give us the choice to love him. Mm -hmm. Which means he had to give them some place where they could choose to trust him or not trust him. And that's what that one tree represents. Sure. Does that, that make sense? sense? Yeah. So everything's good until Adam and Eve start thinking one day, oh, maybe, maybe it is better if I eat that, right? Long story short, they eat it. The minute they eat it, they distrust God. They break the relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So the minute that relationship is broken, sin enters the world. Sin is simply... Any choice, any decision that is out of line with God's design for us. So, relationship is broken, sin enters the world, and sin throws the door open and ushers in. It did not, sin did not come alone. Sin was, sin was in a Ford Expedition and it was packed. Yeah. It brought in suffering, sorrow, death, pain, all of that came in. So, the minute sin entered the world, our, our nature in this world was broken. Our wor you know, world didn't operate like it was supposed to. Now you have natural disasters and all kinds of things that weren't intended. Human nature was broken. So we are no longer, we've got a broken nature now. We're not like we're supposed to be, which we all know because we've all looked in the mirror, laid in our beds at night and gone, what is wrong with me? Why can't I stop doing what I, <laughs> what I don't even want to do and yet I'm doing it, you know? So that is why evil and suffering exist in the world. Um, it's interesting to me when people blame God because I'm like, no, we're actually the ones responsible for ushering that in. Yeah. The extraordinary thing to me is that God says, once Adam and Eve screwed it up, he didn't say, I'm done with you. Um, he said, I'm going to redeem this. So the way I like to describe it is, in the beginning, God created it all perfectly. In the end, he has promised to redeem and restore it all back to what he intended for it to be. Mm -hmm. But here in this meantime, he didn't leave us alone to wallow in the consequences of our sin. 
He showed up with us. He continued to stay personal. Again, we're coming all the way back to Jesus. This is the whole point of Jesus yeah. being here and dying and rising again is so we wouldn't be alone. God, It was God's way of saying, I'm still with you in the middle of this. That makes sense, yeah. And so with that in mind, uh, how God and, and Jesus are still here with us, what about the people that never hear from God? Or, or maybe like there's always that saying like, oh, well, what about someone over across the In the, the jungle world? somewhere, yeah, yeah. yes. No, great question. And this, underlying this is two things, I think, Quinn, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think under these questions are one, the question, is God just and loving? Mm-hmm. And the other question is, is, is hell real? That's what they're going at. So, first of all, is God loving and just? Well, all you have to do is pause and go, do I believe God wants everybody to be a part of his family? I personally believe, again, the crucifixion and the resurrection prove that defendably. Mm-hmm. He went to great lengths to make it possible for anybody. Everybody's invited into God's family. Everybody gets in the same way. Uh, everybody meets the same requirements. You don't have to be good. You don't have to you know, score a 75 or an 80 on the test. It's, <laughs> it's just he's offering us a free gift of forgiveness. All we have to do is humble ourselves enough to accept it, to trust him. That's it. Right. So... So anybody can clear that hurdle, right? Anybody can get in. So if he's gone to such great lengths, then to come back to your original question, I'm like, I believe God has clearly proven he's someone who's doing everything he can for everyone to be a part of his family. He's not doing everything he can to make it difficult for people to be a part. So for people who haven't heard, uh, I would give two answers for that. One, I trust God is loving and just enough in those situations to do the right, fair thing for those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but secondly, uh, Paul in Romans 1, at the start of his letter to the Romans, he actually talks about this a little. He basically says, hey, no matter where somebody is, God reveals himself in different ways to all people. He makes sure, because he wants a relationship with us so much, he pursues us. And he makes sure whether it's through the the world he created, nature, whether it's through people that he sends, but he makes sure people know that he's here and that they can have a relationship with him. So from that standpoint, I say, I just trust the goodness and the the character of God that he's going to do what's right um, in those situations. The other thing I say about that is God does give us freedom of choice. And I think this gets confusing for people sometimes. Because mm-hmm. they go, well, why wouldn't God just blanket forgive everybody? Well, again, it goes back to the beginning. You, you can't force love, right? Love requires a choice. Which means when you talk about eternity, and we may talk about that in a minute, when you talk about heaven and hell, God is not going to force somebody to be somewhere forever that they do not want to be. So if... If you choose to reject God and you don't want anything to do with him on this earth, he's not going to then force you to be with him for eternity. He's going to allow you to choose, just like you did here. Whatever you choose here, he's going to honor throughout eternity. Sure. Where I tell people to be careful about that, because some people are like, well, I don't need God, it's fine. Where I tell people to be careful is, you live in a, we all live in a world right now where we experience the benefits of God, whether we believe in him or not. And what I mean by that, uh, some people call it common grace. So 
we still get to experience expressions of God's love for us, whether we believe in Him or not. We still get to enjoy things like joy and kindness and goodness and self-control and patience, all of those things. Okay, uh, John, who was one of his closest followers, think about this. He was with Jesus three years, and when he had to sum up for people what Jesus was like, he did it in three words. He said, God is love. Not God loves, but like he is the essence of he love. He embodies love. He yeah. embodies love. You want to know what love is? It, just look right there. It's him. Which means, in eternity, if I have said I want nothing to do with God, I'm also saying I want nothing to do with love. So imagine an eternity where you never experience love and all the things that come with it. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those qualities. Well, that is what hell is. Sure. Hell is the absence of God, which means it is the absence of love. But God, as much as he, and he's gone to, I mean, good grief, he gave his life. He's gone to great lengths to prove he wants a relationship with us. But I think one of the most impressive things about God, Quinn, is he doesn't force that on us, even though he could. Yeah. And that shows a great deal of value that he attributes to each of us. And so choosing, a, choosing the opposite. So instead of choosing an attorney with love, You'd be choosing an attorney with pain, suffering, regret, you know, things like that. So, yeah, imagine stripping everything good out of your life and out of this world. Yeah. What is left? Well, it's not something you want to experience. The closest thing I, I can think of is probably being a Louisville fan. So, I, I have some <laughs> Quinn, experience in that. I agree 100% <laughs> with that. There's no doubt. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. All so, right. this is a, a fun question that I, I came up with along with some of my friends. So, okay. It's definitely one that I don't know if you've been asked before. I said that before we started, but um, is it possible that God created life elsewhere in the universe? Uh, and so, of course, the underlying question: aliens? Question yes. mark, right? Yes. How would that affect religion as a whole if we were to find out that there was or there were life or was life in other parts of the universe? Well, first of all, I think all we have to do for starters to research this is watch the Avengers movies, right? Sure. Just check out all the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Um, I, this is a great question. I've never been asked this. I thought this was awesome. So I, I thought about this a little bit, and is it, first of all, is it possible? Well, yes, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess anything's possible, so I wouldn't yeah. say it's not. What impact does it have on our faith in particular? Because I feel like people would be quick to, to say, oh, well, if there is other life elsewhere, then it, then it definitely wasn't created by God. So that's just the, that's, I don't know. Yes, which I would flip it and say, why would you not assume that that life was created by God? It's no, the principles upon which uh, <clears throat> we provide evidence for our faith here, well, they would apply anywhere. So there'd still, let's say there are aliens on some planet somewhere, okay? Sure. There would still have to have been a first cause. To which they could argue, well, those aliens created us. Okay, fine, but who created those aliens? I mean, at some point you get to a first cause, right? Yeah. Something cannot come from nothing. So, um, at some point, you have to come back to something that is extra natural or super supernatural outside of our worlds that influence the first cause of our worlds. I, I start to think about how perfectly everything had to go for life to be on Earth. Absolutely. So for that to happen again somewhere else, I think would almost be, uh, I don't know, benefiting the, the side of it some, almost reinforces there something had to create this. That's right. It reinforces that, and I would. And so when I thought about how this would impact our faith, for me it wouldn't impact it at all because I would go, well, 
there is still compelling evidence that Jesus died and rose again. Um, and if God wants a relationship with us that deeply, he wants the same relationship with any other being that he created. So it would just expand who God loves in my mind. I, th I think that would be the extent of it. No, that's a good answer to the question. It's, it's one that's definitely, I think, worth thinking about. Uh, but of course, <laughs> I don't know if there, there's a part of me that would like to have that situation <laughs> unfold, but another part where I'm like, okay, I'm fine with how things are going at the moment. Listen, as so. we're recording this in 2020, I don't think we need any extraterrestrial life. No. We're, we can't even figure this one we've out, just, right? Yeah, we've just got a month left, so hopefully that's not something we have to worry about. No but, doubt. Um, and so kind of coming back from that, uh, we were you, you kind of mentioned earlier how we might talk about heaven and hell. Yeah. Um, that's another question. How does heaven exist? I think a lot of people ask that question. And, and can we be confident that there is life after death? Do we go on after... Yes this life. Okay, so I'll, here's what I would say to that. You can only be confident there's life after death if someone has come back from death and told you about it. Yeah. That's the only way. So I'm only confident there's life after death and I'm only confident there's a heaven for one reason. Uh, because Jesus said there was. He's the only one who went there and came back. Mm -hmm. So again, I know I know my reasoning is pretty simple, but everything really does hinge on the resurrection. I feel like I can trust what Jesus said because he rose from the dead. So if he says there's heaven, which he did, he said God's prepared a place for us, okay? And one of the things that people sometimes get confused, and I don't want to get us down rabbit trail here, but heaven's not how it's portrayed in movies typically. And why, how, why everyone's Yes, that. how people yeah. think about it. Um, actually, one of the New Testament documents tells us that God, at the end of time, going back to when he's going to redeem and restore everything again, mm -hmm. that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, So he's going to restore everything to the way he originally intended for it to be, where everything's perfect. There's no sin, sorrow, death, pain, suffering anymore in the world. Um, Jesus said that when we die, those of us who put our trust in him, that we're going to be with him. And what exactly that looks like um, until God creates that new heaven and new earth, we don't know exactly. Yeah. Um, but we're with him, and wherever it is, it's good because it's perfect. Um, so that's why I have the confidence in it. It's entirely because of not what Jesus said, but what he did that validated what he said. And whenever that new heaven and new earth come, Quinn, it's gonna, I think you can look at the Garden of Eden and what uh, Adam and Eve's experience was like in the early days there and get a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And all I mean by that is, we're not sitting around playing harps, singing songs all day. Yeah. Like, it's just a perfect world we get to live in and enjoy, and there'll still be work to do, because Adam and Eve worked beforehand. Work's not a consequence of sin. Work's something we're all wired to do and enjoy doing. We'll just be doing work that we love all the time. We'll have relationships that we love all the time. Uh, it'll, it'll be something that takes what we experience now to a whole new level. Sure, yeah, and that's an interesting way to think about it because there's always a question like, okay, well then if heaven exists, what is it like? And so that's that's an interesting uh, way to put it. And there's a song that I've listened to before uh, by a band called Arcade Fire. I don't know if you've ever listened to I've heard to of them, them. yep. Um, but in one of the songs, they have a, a, a lyric that says, if there's no music in heaven, then what is it for? And I have always, like, I, I'm sure that they didn't, maybe it was something they were proud of, but I've always been like, man, that's really good. Like, yep. like if if there is a heaven, or uh, the idea of heaven, like, 
will we be able to listen to Pearl Jam or or is <laughs> yep. it or is it strictly like does God have a gospel only role? You think? <laughs> well, uh, music is music is clearly a gift from God. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it has to be. Uh, I don't think it has to be simply the Chris Tomlin playlist to make it <laughs> to make it approved by God, right? Sure. So, heaven, we're going to be able to function and create and do just like God originally intended for us to before sin complicated everything. So that leads me to believe, Quinn, people who are gifted by God to create music, they're going to create extraordinary music that we're going to get to enjoy. Uh, people who are gifted to lead, they're going to get to lead. Um, just without any of the mess, sure. you know, without any of the, the fallibility that we all have when we lead. People who are gifted athletically, wh- why wouldn't you get to, to do that? Sure, yeah, that makes sense. In so. some way. So I, I can't say exactly what it's like. I'm just pulling <laughs> from, what I, from what I read in Genesis and what I read in some of the New Testament documents, and it's certainly going to be something we enjoy. I think that's the main point. Yeah, definitely. And so, and so lastly, just to kind of wrap it up, uh, because I've been asking a bunch of questions. Like I said, these are questions that I've been asked or uh, I've even thought about myself. Is it okay to ask questions and still believe? Uh, or maybe a better way to put it is, can you wonder about uh, you know, different aspects of Christianity yet still believe in, I guess, the, the, the message and then the idea as a whole? Yeah, I would say not only is it okay, but it's essential and encouraged. Mm-hmm. God never discouraged people from asking questions. As a matter of fact, if you think of it, faith, which is simply trust. Uh, Faith and doubt, or trust and doubt, have to go hand in hand. There is no need for faith or trust if there's not uncertainty and questions and doubt, right? Yeah. So, I encourage people to ask questions. And I think the, one of the biggest mistakes that churches and Christians have made over the last few decades is when people raise their hand to ask a question, they shot them down and said, you shouldn't ask that. You need to have more faith. The Bible says, and that's enough. And that's enough, yeah. Uh, Jesus never did that. He took all questions. He had his closest 12 disciples ask a ton of questions, and they had a ton of doubts. Yeah. And one of my favorite stories is after the resurrection, Jesus appears to, to all of the guys except one. Thomas isn't in the room. This is his first appearance to all of them at once. And when the guys go back and tell Thomas, hey, it's real, we saw him, you know? Thomas is like, uh-uh, no, I'm not believing that until I see it with my own eyes. Y'all yeah. are crazy. Because that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Does, it does, yeah. Um, so I love Thomas in his honesty. And when Jesus sees Thomas, he doesn't, he doesn't criticize him. He does, he's not like, I can't believe you. He says, nope, come here. You can take a look for yourself. You think I'm a ghost? Come here, touch my hands, you know, touch the scar on my side, whatever. And then he says something interesting to Thomas. He says, you're blessed because you have seen and believed. But the people who haven't seen me physically, who are never going to get to physically touch me, and yet they still look at the evidence and choose to believe, well, they're going to be even more blessed. Which was his way of saying, I I don't find questions to be a lack of faith. I find questions to be an expression of faith. And so I encourage that. I think I don't think you've got a faith worth living unless you've got faith that can stand up under the questions. Yeah, and I think that the questions can almost advance that faith. No doubt. Uh, when, once you get the answers and you always seek wise counsel, kind of like how I did today. And so um, I, that's all the questions that I have to ask, but is there anything else you'd want to add? Or I appreciate you did a great job uh, answering the questions. I know I threw some 
maybe a couple curveballs at you. But well, I'm I'm honored to have the opportunity, and I would just I'd say a couple things. One, I don't have all the answers either. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's figuring this out. But for someone who's trying to get a grasp on is this really true, and can I really put my trust in Jesus? Examining the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, everything starts there, and I think everything falls into place from there. There are a couple series I've done that go along with these questions that people may be interested in, and they're all on our uh, Journey Church's YouTube channel, so if they want to go on YouTube, search Journey Calway, uh, they can find us. Uh, One of them is the one I mentioned earlier, The Bible for Mm -hmm. Grown-Ups. The other one is a series I did uh, three years ago called Who Needs God? And there are so many people today, the majority of people today, they're not atheists, uh, but they're, they also aren't sure they fully believe. They kind of fall in the middle and go, I'm just not sure what to believe. Yeah. And I did a series for those people trying to help them wrestle through a lot of these questions you've asked. They may find that helpful as well. Okay. Well, uh, that's definitely some things that are worth looking at. I know I've been uh, able or l- lucky enough to kind of follow a couple of those messages, so they're definitely worth looking at but I think that's going to do it for this episode so Matt I appreciate you sitting down I I always hesitate to call you Pastor Matt or Brother Matt but you just like Matt so thank you Matt thank you Matt for stopping in uh, and doing this episode I think it was really beneficial not only for everyone listening but especially for me so uh, thanks for joining in I hope you enjoyed it I know it's kind of a a different uh, way to do it but I think it's going to be really good So I'd love to Quinn thank you it's been yeah, my no pleasure problem. so uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in this has been All You Need to Know this has been All You Need to Know if you have a topic you would like to hear about message us on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at all you need the number 2 no 00 at gmail.com Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and tune in every Wednesday because here at AYN2K, we've got you covered.